0: Hello, this is Kumbasike, this is Connor, and this is episode 50. My guest today is Ridley. Ridley is initially from the UK. He spent time in Thailand and Vietnam, training in martial arts, and yeah, here we go, number 50. Let's go. are you, Ridley? I'm good, man, you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Excited to get to this milestone. Like, Yeah, it's been a while, three months, but we've made it, so excited to get going. So, do you mind then starting with, tell me a bit about your background in the UK? Uh, so went to uni in
1: Manchester in my first year didn't really stick it out got um, got kicked out in the first year um, I always sort of do things on the second time round I did the same thing in college Yeah, sure. um, and then I basically liked Manchester so much and had made really good friends there that I decided to stay in Manchester so I was um, sort of couch surfing living on floors and stuff for a while um, fast forward a few years I managed to sort myself out get a proper job Um, so once I had a proper job, I was working for a communications company, making like voice over IP phone systems for businesses, but just clocking in and clocking out, working 50 hours a week in an office just wasn't for me. It was just killing me inside.
0: Yeah, for real. So what did you do after that? Uh, so
1: I'd been there for a year and when I got hired, the the CEO called me. He was like, is is that you? I was like, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, I've got three questions for you. How much do you want me to pay you? Uh, when can you start? And how did your interview go? I was like, right, okay. So I asked for a certain amount of money and he said, well, you haven't got any qualifications because obviously I didn't have my degree because I'd been kicked out of uni. Um, but he sort of liked that I was a bit cheeky on the phone. So I asked him for X amount and he said, okay, you can have X £2,000. I said, okay. He said, after a year, I'll give you the £2,000. So I'd i been there for a year I went in his office, it was July, so it's July 2015. I said, uh, he was called Carl, I said, look Carl, I've been here for a year. I'm not asking for it now, but could you tell me what I've got to do to to earn that £2,000? And he said, it's not that you haven't earned it, you're a good worker, you you know, everyone here likes you, you've done really well. Um, and he said, you've um, you've been doing a bit of Muay Thai, haven't you? And at this point, i I'd been doing Thai boxing for started in september 2014 so i've been doing it for just under a year he said have you ever thought about going to thailand and i was like no i always thought manchester was like the center of the universe yeah sure. obviously moved there for uni it was just amazing big city from a small town and i just thought manchester was like the be all an end all of existence i never imagined myself going anywhere else um and i gave it a bit of thought i was like well maybe i suppose it would be like a cool experience and he he told me about it because he'd been there quite a lot and i was like yeah all right then he said right okay so instead of a pay rise you can put the return flights on company expenses and i'll give you a month off with pay so you can use all your annual leave back to back so for december 2015 i went to thailand and just had like the most incredible experience um, obviously, I mentioned that i'd like been in Manchester and lived on floors and couches and didn't really have anything and As soon as I landed in Bangkok airport and got off the plane, I was just totally overcome with emotion. I was like, "Wow like phew, i've had all these like bad times in manchester and like I've, I've like made it here to the other side of the world and it's not that like my my family are amazing like my my I have a really good relationship with my mum, my stepdad my brothers um but at the time, I was like a bit too proud to ask them for help they'd always been really good to me um, but when I was in Manchester sort of couch surfing living on floors they they didn't really understand how bad it had got sure, because yeah. I hid it from them I like, like, didn't want to upset them or make them think that they'd failed so for me getting to like Thailand from living on those floors and couches and stuff it was just so surreal I had like the best month of my life um, I had great fun with the Thai people I was teaching them English they taught me a little bit of Thai and then um, I got got back to England and went back to work. It was like the 3rd of January, going back after the New Year break. I sat at my desk, logged in, and I just thought, oh, God, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like, now that I knew what was out there, it was just so amazing. needed a new chapter. Yeah, definitely. needed a fresh start. Um, I went through quite a bad breakup in Manchester, so it was... Uh, the city was just full of bad memories and stuff and like a reminder of the times when I didn't have anything I was drinking quite a lot, partying too much um, and my my best friends Ollie and Tom, they had left the city now Ollie had gone to the Midlands to um, he, he smashed you and he got a first, he got a really good job and then Tom moved back home too so I didn't, I didn't have them in the city anymore um, my other friends were sort of working all the time so I was like well what am I going to do and I was still working at that company, and I just thought, you know what, I'm, I want to move to Thailand. But I promised Carl that I'd work at the company for another year, because he gave me that sweet deal, paying for the flights, giving me the time off. So I knew I had to work for him until July. So I started a bit of uh, research online, looking at what jobs Westerners can do in Thailand, and obviously teaching, teaching English. Yeah. Um, and one of my other best friends, Phil, he had done it um, two years before, a company called Explore Asia uh, who train you to do like your Tesla and stuff and then place you in the school So I spoke to Phil a little bit he put me in contact with Explore Asia and I booked my Tesla for October 2016 so now we're January 2016 so I had nine months of, of work and, and not telling anyone at work that I was going and then it got to about June um, Carl used to call me tall pants i'm six foot five he used to call me tall pants tall pants coming here i went in his office he said um i'm 50 in a few weeks me and all my friends are gonna go to prague we want you to come i was like well i can't afford that how much is it he's like don't worry they're all minted <laughs> you will not have to worry about yeah, anything yeah. so i went to prague uh, well no i did go with them but i sort of felt a bit guilty saying yes knowing that i was going to leave the company in two months time and i hadn't told him so I sat down, I was, I'm a very honest person, I haven't got a dishonest bone in my body, and I, I hate like hiding things too. So I was like, look, Carl, I, I would love to come, but... And he was like, you wanna leave, don't you? I was like, yeah. You wanna move to Thailand, don't you? I was like, yeah. But I've got you till July, haven't I? I was like, yeah. So anyway, um, that all came out and then I went to Prague in a wild time with all these millionaires who were sort of living vicariously through me a, a young single lad making me do all the things that they couldn't because they had wives back home Jesus. um yeah <laughs> it was a wild <laughs> weekend what was a good experience got any stories or can you say them um i don't want to get any of them in trouble yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, no, I swear. um yeah. so yeah um after that so i enjoyed Prague with them and then carl because i was moving to thailand in september uh Carl let me move back home to my hometown Hartleypool from Manchester and work remotely for a few months. Okay, sweet. So I moved back to Hartlepool in the August, said goodbye to all my friends in Manchester and stuff, left my job, um, was working remotely in Hartlepool for two months
0: and then flew to Thailand at the end of September never really look back yeah I see I do want to kind of explore the Thailand and the Vietnam yeah. thing however first I kind of want to go back to the early years so what was life like growing up in Hartlepool that's where you're from right yeah so tell me a bit more about that
1: so um, my mum and my biological daddy right, I've sort of given him a held an olive branch out and give him another chance at the moment um, He's shit on me every time in the past that I've done that, but I I don't like holding grudges. Yeah, sure. Um. So they they got divorced when I was four. Um. My dad moved to a nearby town called Castle Eden, and um. Met a woman called Melanie, and then in like a few months later, my my mum um started like seeing a new guy as well, Paul, who is now my stepdad. They've been together nearly twenty years. Um. So they got together and then. One time when I went to visit my dad, I've always been really fussy eater even before I was diabetic. Um, So I was staying at my dad's one time, I was six or seven. And then uh, basically I wouldn't eat my tea one night and he flipped out, he like picked me up by my neck, bounced me off the floor. Um, and then I went upstairs, like wiping all the tears and blood off myself. Melanie, his girlfriend, came up and was like, why? Why would you do that? Your dad loves you. Why? why are you behaving like that? I was like, he doesn't love me. Look what he's just done. And she like backhanded me across the face. So uh, the next day I was supposed to go back home. But I was like covered in bruises and stuff. So my dad rang my mum. and was like, James wants to stay another day. Is that okay? She's like, yeah, can I speak with him? He's like, oh, he's out in the garden playing. I definitely wasn't. And then uh, I went to school the next day and I didn't dare tell anyone because I was terrified. So at the time, my best friend in primary school was called um, Philly Patton. And he's, uh, he's got a really interesting Instagram. He travels all over Africa and stuff at the minute, doing like really cool stuff over there. I told him what had happened. And then the only way my mum found out was he went home and his mum was like like washing him in the bath or something, whatever, and uh, she was like, what's wrong? She could tell he was sad. He was like, oh, I feel dead sorry. For me friend at school, and he told his mum, so then she told my mum, but she didn't want to let my dad know yeah. that she knew, because my like my biological dad's a bit, bit nuts. Um, so then, obviously, I stayed at my dad's that extra night, and then the day after, uh, I got in the car after school, and my mum picked me up, and she could tell us something was wrong. She's like, "Are you alright, James? I was like, um, "Yeah. So have you got anything to tell me? You know, you can tell me anything, don't you? She said, I like started crying and she said, Do you want to see your dad? And I started crying, I was like, No, I don't ever want to see him again. And then, like, she pulled my coat down, she could see his handprint right like, around my neck. So then, like, obviously, the police got involved and I had to like, go see doctors and stuff, blah blah blah. blah. Um, so then, I didn't see my dad for three years. So then, I had, I had a pretty good childhood. Like, obviously, my mum had like married Paul in this time, my stepdad. They'd had uh, Paul had a kid from his first marriage, Josh, my stepbrother. So I had like brothers now. My mum and uh, Paul had a baby together, Matty. So it was like three of us now, three boys running around. Um, it was really good. I I did have a nice childhood. And, like, Paul was absolutely amazing with me, like, tripped me like his own, and he was, like, a proper good dad. And then when I was 10, um, I was ill. I was, like, losing quite a lot of weight, but I was a skateboarder, wore baggy jeans, baggy T-shirts. My mum couldn't really tell. And I did used to always get sent home from school sick as well, like, pulling the wool over her eyes a bit and she was like James if you're not ill I'm I swear to god I'm going to be so angry I was like um, something's totally wrong like I was going to the toilet a lot at night time peeing a lot I was drinking energy drinks to make me feel better I had no energy whatsoever and then um we booked a doctor's appointment for it was a, it was supposed to be on a Monday and then on the Friday the doctor called us it was Friday the 13th of September 2002 um, not superstitious, but it's a bit weird. Yeah, it's so weird, right? someone cancelled their doctor's appointment, so we got to like take that slot. And my mum took a urine sample because I've been peeing so much, like thinking it was a kidney infection or something. Uh, we went in. The doctor dipped it with like a ketone stick, which is like a little reagent strip that if you dip it in urine, it's got sugar and it turns like a dark color. And the doctor was like, "We need an ambulance now. Like I don't know how he's standing. Y- you full blown type one diabetic. Sure. I was like, "What's that?" And that was like that day, like my whole life changed. Yeah. So basically, I needed insulin injections. I needed to check my blood every day. Um. So went home. Went to the hospital. I was in the hospital for a week. So my mum, like being the decent human being that she is, thought that my biological dad deserved to know. So she called him. Was like, "Look, James has almost died. Blah 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 blah." So he then drove from London. He he'd left that woman that he was with Melanie um, she was a bit of a nutter funny story if you go on Google and type in Melanie R and look at like the third name down you'll see her name if you click that it'll lead you to a Google article that actually shows that since splitting up with my dad she got married again had a kid she killed a two year old toddler so if I'd have never got taken off my dad and Melanie yeah. after that night that they beat me up something like that could have happened to me
0: Of course. Yeah. that was a bit
1: of a is she like in prison now uh, she, she will I think they went down the not um, mentally sound route oh yeah she was right in right. like a mental hospital for a while but I think she's out now
0: right okay
1: basically smothered him stabbed him and then went to the police station and put his his body on the counter and was like I've killed my son
0: ah right, Okay. so yeah, yeah um, that was
1: so yeah uh, dad came um, to the hospital because they had diabetes my first question was why did you hit me because I was was 10 now, a bit older, and he was like, oh, that's all all nonsense, they've they've told you that all that happened, it never happened, I was like, what? So, basically my dad's a police officer in London, so I don't know if that's why nothing ever happened, or a few strings got pulled, I don't know, but nothing ever happened, nothing nothing came of it. I suppose it's an adult's word against a six-year-old child's word, but I still remember that night vividly now to imagine. Um, Anyway, so, sort of built a relationship with my dad again, um and then things got a bit complicated because I think Paul, obviously, who was my stepdad, felt a bit shunned that I'd started to see my biological dad again, which is understandable because yeah, and, and he hated him for what he did to me. And then my biological dad was sort of poisoning me against him. He's like, Oh, he's not your dad, you don't have to do what he says, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah So for like my teenage years, me and Paul really didn't get on. Um, but now we have a fantastic relationship, and if anyone on this planet is my dad, it's that man. It's Paul. Yeah. Um. He's so good. He's a great husband to my mom. He's a he's a great father to my brothers. Um. There's three of us are brothers, but actually, when I was a teenager, um, we had like a, a horse yard where people would keep horses and like stay in in our stables and stuff. And there was um there was a boy called Mark, and uh, he he wasn't going to school and stuff. He was a bit of a a bit of a. Uh, Jack the lad and we basically my mum said to him look like we'll take you in and, like live in our house follow our rules blah 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 so again like a, f- a third brother Mark so Mark was older than me. I'm the oldest biologically So sure. then there's yeah. like Mark who we like sort of fostered so there's four of us now and we're all like really close yeah. um, Josh who's the second well it's so confusing the second eldest biologically but the third if we include Mark he got married in um two thousand and eighteen when mm. I got home from Thailand. So the four of us being at that wedding together that was like a really nice thing. Imagine it's so. good. So yeah. yeah, like growing up in Hartley a bit rough. Um I was always in like skateboarding, heavy metal, pop punk and stuff and then I got to about fifteen, it was like I'm sorta of sick of getting punched every time I leave the house on my skateboard now. So I you know, I bought the tracky bottoms and I got the air marks and the awful pink Burberry polos and I tried listening to the the rave and it just wasn't for me but you have to sort of wear that that disguise to fit in in our town that's probably my biggest regret growing up that I wasn't always just me yeah I just did what I like obviously now I'm covered in tattoos and Mm. I do martial arts and I'm into skateboarding again and now I am who I am but it took me from like starting to hide who I was at 15 it took me until I was about 25, to be like, I'm not doing this anymore, Yeah. I'm not going to like the music that, that, that everyone says I should like, I'm not going to dress that way, mm. and now I'm just myself again, so
0: Hartlepool was kind of weird to grow up in, because yeah, you have to be a certain so. way. I can imagine so, so what you've mentioned here is diabetes as well, this is something I want to touch yeah, on, yeah. I don't have much knowledge about it, so do you mind telling me more about A, diabetes, and B, how it has affected you? So um,
1: diabetes is basically, when you get diagnosed with it and you're 10 years old, they're like, oh, don't worry, it won't change your life at all. you just got to have a few injections. I was terrified of needles, but they Um. wouldn't let me go home until I injected myself. Basically, diabetes is an autoimmune disease. It's your own immune system attacks cells that signal your pancreas to secrete insulin. So when we eat any food, we eat carbohydrate our body needs to process that into energy and for that to happen you need the hormone insulin my my immune system now attacks the cells that tells the pancreas to release the insulin so my body doesn't so i've I've now got to put it in with injections um if i don't my blood sugars go too high i feel nauseated angry headache i pee a lot similar to before i was diagnosed because obviously my blood sugars were sky high and we didn't know it was diabetes uh, on the flip side, if I exercise a bit too much, or have too much insulin, my blood sugars can crash, and then I've got to eat candy. Obviously, we work together. You may see me in the office sometimes eating a little bag of Skittles or Harry. Haribo. Yeah, sure. That's when I've had too much insulin. Right, I see. Yeah, so yeah, I've got to, like, it it's it. sort of like a set of scales you've got to balance it. Yeah, and diabetes, it has links with mental health, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. There's, b- there's big links with mental health, yeah. Um, I've got some friends that work in like nursing homes in Manchester, and they say it's, it's ridiculous Like, what percentage of the patients are diabetics so if if you don't manage it very well um you your mood swings are terrible. um The anxiety related with you know obviously before we started recording this podcast, I had to check my blood sugars mm. I felt a little bit dry mouth. I was like, "Do I need the toilet and it's just thinking of all those things every minute of every day, and then it's okay, so how high is my blood sugar, what is my insulin ratio? How many units do I need to have to bring that down? have I exercised earlier in the day because if I have I'm more sensitive to insulin sure, it, yeah. it's just so many things and, and I've done it myself from being 10 years old um, I've always done my own insulin injections I've always um, looked after my own um, insulin ratio I was a really bad diabetic until probably until I was 23 22, 23 and started looking after myself sure, yeah. I, used to, I was always the skinny kid um, really unhealthy, never sporty, never fit, um, never filled out a t-shirt, I, I always looked terrible um, but I started looking after myself in like 2014 and
0: since then my control's have like been really good I see man yeah, that actually brings me, there are two things I want to touch upon, one is um from 2014 onwards where you get involved in martial arts, yeah. we will get to that however do you mind telling me a bit more about Manchester, you mentioned there were some difficult periods throughout that, yeah, yeah. do you mind telling me more about say some yeah, tough so
1: um, basically, as I mentioned, I kicked out of university. Um, there was three of us that were best friends in Manchester. It was me, Tom, and Ollie. Um, me and Tom absolutely fucked it together in first <laughs> year. Um, Ollie did really well. Me and Tom sort of weren't thinking about where we're we gonna live in second year. Are we even gonna get into second year? We didn't. Um, so then after the summer, it was like right. Well, I wanna go back to Manchester, to be with my friends. Tom felt the same way. And Ollie had got a house in Fallowfield, where all the students live. Um, so it was a four-bedroom house. There was our friend Ollie, another guy called Ollie, a guy called Ben, a guy called Chris, and an Australian girl called Bria that lived in a cupboard at the top of the stairs. It was, um, She lived in a cupboard? Yeah, she lived in a cupboard at the top of the stairs. That would later become my cupboard once I upgraded from the floor. <laughs> right, okay. um, so yeah, there was, so both, those five were living in the house. And then me and Tom basically moved into Ollie's bedroom, yeah, and like Ollie and Tom would share the bed. I'd sleep in the corner of the bedroom on a little sofa bed thing, and just pay ten pound a week to stay there okay, no. and It was looking back it's absolutely terrible, but it was some of the happiest times like i just I just didn't care, I was just happy to be with my friends mm. um I worked for events companies too in Manchester, so we were getting everywhere for free. The drink was free um and obviously there's always after parties in Fallow Field. I think after a while that lifestyle starts like catching up on you a bit. I imagine, yeah. Um I was fortunate to sort of find martial arts and, and stop living that life. Uh Ollie obviously went on and did really well with work and like finished uni and got a good job and stuff. Tom sorta of never really
0: found anything that he had a passion about. But I'm sure we'll get onto that later. Yeah, we'll definitely mention it. So that period in Manchester, you were sleeping on the floor. Yeah. What's it like? I mean, I, you know, I've never kind of had that period. What's it like living, sleeping on a floor for weeks on end? I mean...
1: um, it It is rough. <laughs> it, it's quite rough because you just think, like, what am I doing? But because cause I was having such a good time with my friends every night, going out all the time, you sort of forget about the fact that I haven't got a stable job. Yeah. I haven't got my degree. I don't have any future prospects. I didn't really care, I was, I was very self-destructive and all I really cared about was where the next good time was going to come from, yeah, the true. next day. And you just get stuck in a cycle, you know, it's like go out, hang over, eat a microwave pizza, go out again and it, I didn't really care because I, I knew I was making like quality memories and looking back now, I am glad I have those memories but I
0: wish I'd sorted myself out a little bit sooner Real. too yeah but you did move on like this is where I want to get into the martial arts aspect so yeah, yeah. 2014 is when you get into martial arts yeah correct? so um, yeah. Bit,
1: I'd, um, I'd split with my second girlfriend in March of 2014 um, in that same month I'd also moved out of the house where I was living on the floor and got myself a flat and then whilst I was in the flat I started looking for the proper jobs and that's how I ended up working for Carl at the technology company But that was a few months later. Um, So whilst I was living in the flat, I was like, right, I I need to, like, make my life better. I need to get healthy. I need to control my diabetes. And I need to find something to focus on. I need, like, a passion. I had started studying a degree again. Um, Two good things came from my second relationship. Um, One of them was that she persuaded me to make up with my stepdad. Obviously, I'd said that during my teenage years, we we didn't really get on because of my dad. Um, in that time, I'd fallen out with my biological dad again, and one of my cousins was getting married, so I asked her. I was like, "Do you want to come to Harleypool, meet my family? We'll go to a family wedding," and she said, "Only if I can meet your whole family." So I was like, oh, "All right then." So I I went home and I, I said to Paul, "Can we have a chat?" Blah, blah blah, and on that night we we hugged, we kissed, we made up, and we've had such a good relationship ever since then. So that was a, a really positive thing, um,
0: that that came from that. I've lost my thread now, what was the second thing? Um, first thing, Paul, two things from your relationship with your ex that you split up with in March Oh yeah,
1: sorry, and this, the other thing was, um, because she was at uni, I wanted to better myself too, so I started a, um, a part-time degree with the Open University, because oh, I, I didn't want to feel like a worthless piece of shit mm. while she was studying and stuff. So I started a part-time degree, made up with Paul, they were the two good things that came from that. Um, and then, obviously we split up, I was still studying, but I needed something else. So I I knew I was doing a part time degree, but it was going to be six years before I graduated. I needed something else. Um, when I was younger, all I ever wanted to be was a Power Ranger. <laughs> do you remember yeah, that I do Mighty remember Morphin it, yeah. Power Rangers? Yeah. So I thought, right, start getting into martial arts. Like I'd always been interested in it. I'd done a bit of kickboxing when I was younger, but I never stuck at anything. Didn't stick to skateboarding. Didn't stick to kickboxing. Didn't stick to karate. Didn't stick the basketball, didn't stick the rollerblade, and never stuck to anything. So I started going to Bujinkan Ninjutsu because <laughs> I, uh, I thought that would be an interesting one to start with. And then after a few weeks, you think I'm doing roly polies and throwing ninja stars here. Is this uh, is this the one? But then a, a a gym called Manchester Fighters Academy, who I have tattooed on my leg here, they were renting mat space within the gym that I was training at. Oh, that looks fun, try that did one class and I was like yeah this is, this is a bit of me, it was so hard, it was the hardest thing I'd ever had to do physically and I kept going there and I got really close to John and Tanya the coaches and they became sort of like a surrogate family in Manchester then um, so I was there, trained with them for like two years met loads of good friends there, got a few of my good friends to join too and that was like a nice little family in Manchester so working full time at the technology company the communications company on the evening go to um mfa obviously did the month in thailand in the december and then knew i wanted to move there so like mfa did like a, a leaving thing for me and they got me a few gifts and cards and i still taught them every now and then not as much as i'd like to but the life sort of goes on doesn't it, it does People keep yeah. live their own life but that will always be like i owe manchester fighters academy so much because that sort of taught me how to have discipline and how to have routine and it helped my diabetes, got me in shape, and uh, that was really where the the passion for martial arts was like ignited in me.
0: Yeah, for real. Um,
1: so I've I joined in like my almost seven years ago now, and I've pre- uh, trained pretty consistently since. Obviously in Thailand, I trained at different gyms, moving around, and no no gym sort of felt like home the way MFA did. But I suppose that's because there's such a big turnover over fighters. Um, and then I hurt my back whilst I was in Thailand. And I sort of knew something serious was up. I went to the hospital and I showed them a video of deadlifts because I'd done a deadlifting. Um, and he was like, okay, okay, we'll, we'll give you an injection. I was like, right, okay. So I went in this office, the nurse was like, pants down. Like, right, okay. So my pants down, got this injection in my butt cheek. I'm sat in the waiting room. And there's a little guy from Myanmar, who's my translator. And you can see the Buddha tattoo the Buddha on my chest. He's like, oh Buddha, Buddha, very good. Can I get a selfie? I was like, yeah, yeah. And as he's, as he's taking the selfie and the flash is going off, I was thinking, oh, I don't feel right. So anyway, they call my name. I went to the front, got this bag of medicine. And I of like wobbled to the elevator. And he's like, another selfie? And I was a little bit paranoid. I was like, no, 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 no selfie, no selfie. Got in the elevator, pressed the button, Doors open, got out, and all the corridors are just empty. and I'm thinking, what's going on? My vision's sort of going tunnel vision, I'm sweating. and I'm looking, and then there's people in surgical gowns like running towards me, shouting at me in Thai. And yeah. I can speak Thai now, but at the time I couldn't speak Thai. I looked at the wall, there's a big number four. I'd gone up to the fourth floor instead of down to the ground floor. Shit. So I was like, oh God, like I'm going to pass out. Made it back to the elevator, went down to the ground floor got outside and the last thing i remember is just taxis beeping anyway i woke up like two hours later clutching this bag of medicine in my bed i'd like sweat through the paper bag so the boxes were just like on my chest i looked and then sold me hay fever tablets ibuprofen paracetamol and, like, i couldn't walk okay. so um i had to sort of i was teaching at the time so i had, I had to teach um whilst being really rigid and like bending over to pick up the little books and mark them and stuff and after a while it got a bit better but I knew something was wrong it was really painful to kick um, I got a bit of stability back and like I was trying a bit of yoga and stretching and stuff to make it better and then I had to lose 10 kilos so once my contract at work in Thailand was done um, someone in the teaching room had said oh you do Muay Thai all the time we talk about Muay Thai and you haven't even had a fight so I was like because I'm always out in the drink with you like you, you can't yeah you know you can't live I'm in both worlds it, yeah. so I was like right I'll stop coming out I'll stop drinking and there's a thing i oh, fight club Thailand another one of my tattoos and it's just it's not like a proper Muay Thai fight where it's like five five-minute rounds it's one three-minute round you've got to knock them out to win shit so I was like right okay I'll do that <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I did so I and they were they replied. they were like oh you're too heavy I was 105 kilos someone will fight you at 95 so I had 10 kilos to lose I started running loads, and then the pain from my back sort of went, crept down into my bum cheek, and then into my hamstring, then into my knee, then into my ankle from all the running. It's like something's seriously wrong here, and then a few weeks before the fight, they messaged me and said, "Oh, it's um, it's our first boxing event." I was like, "Pardon," but like, yeah, it's just boxing. I don't know how to box, like with my Muay Thai, I, I I teep quite a lot, which is like a push kick, and I kick. I've got long legs. Um, if people come in close like to to clinch and then try and elbow them from the inside couldn't do any of that <laughs> just boxing yeah like right okay here we go so I went to um, I went to fight this guy on a, on a on a rooftop in Bangkok no ring just a crowd few mats a uh, few people from work came to watch few of my Thai friends and yeah the, a three minute boxing fight with this Thai guy on a rooftop uh, the videos on YouTube if you type in Fight Club Thailand Titan vs Bank and it's pretty appalling, but it was, it was my first fight, it was, it's an experience, Yeah, of course. and it was a limited rule set, but I still had fun, it was great. Did you and, um, No, neither of us knocked each other out. Oh yeah, of course. I think yeah. my cardio was a little bit better than his, he was uh, a bit tired, but no, it was a draw. Right, okay. It was, uh, we just sort of slugged it out for three minutes. Yeah, Every I mean, time he came in close, I tried to clinch him, and I was thinking, don't knee him, don't knee him, don't elbow him, don't elbow him. So yeah, it was an experience, and I'm glad I did it. Yeah, what martial arts have you done? Um, are there a few? so i've done uh muay thai say say on and off for about seven years now um and then because of the back injury when i moved back to england i did muay thai for a few months but it just it got so painful and, I, I, and my balance was off and shooting pains down my left side and then my right hip started hurting so when i got an mri scan and i've basically got a disc injury on the left hand side and i've got facet joint degeneration on the right side so i started doing a bit of yoga see if it would improve and my Thai was still a little bit too painful so I was like right what can I do well Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is on the ground that might be a bit easier on the body again it isn't um, as you know um, when I moved to Vietnam I I tore the triangular fibro cartilage in my wrist in my yeah. second week I've since had that repaired so no BJJ is not easier on the body but um, it did it was better for the, for the back injuries didn't hurt as much um, so yeah that's the way it goes Yeah.
0: pretty much yeah BJJ for two years
1: Muay Thai for like seven years on and off
0: okay cool that's pretty that leads me on to the Thailand you obviously moved to Thailand in 2016 is that right yes yeah. uh, so October 2016 cool do you mind telling me more about Thailand as an experience yeah it was
1: fantastic so um, like I said the company ExplorAsia put my Tesla with them and went to uh, a beach town called Hua Hin and lived with like 30 other people doing their tessel in a house called Bansom Plume we were the red team so it was like probably 200 people there to do their tessel with Explore Asia that month but we're all like sort of segregated into little teams yeah um so the green team lived in that hotel the, the yellow team lived there and the red team we lived in Bansom Plume and uh, we all gelled really quickly and i sort of took the role of loudmouthed obnoxious leader um all my life i've sort of um I think it probably stems from when I was the skinny diabetic kid and didn't have anything special about me. So I sort of reinvented myself as this larger than life, loud mouth. You know, say, look at me, look at me. Like, I, like I'm special. There's nothing special about me, but like, just go over the top. So to you be, know, sure. oh, Ridley's mad, he'll do this. Or Ridley's mad, oh, yeah, get Ridley right. He's a good laugh. And even though now I'm like a different person, I, I do sometimes still sort of slip into that. You know, the mask comes on and yeah, I, I sure. become that loud person. Yeah. So for that month in Hua Hin, that was my role. I made everyone gel as a team, and we all did everything together. The other teams hated us. Um, i our red, red what? And everyone's like, red team. And we were like, oh, God, here come those guys again. Um, but, yeah, it was amazing. We all studied together. And then at the end of the month, we all got split up because we all got like jobs in different parts of Thailand. And um, at first, for the first six months, I was a substitute teacher in Bangkok, so I was at uh, like five different schools and then at the end of the the contract, the my employer, the agency said, would you like to still be the substitute teacher or would you like a permanent position in the school? All of the schools that you've substituted at really want you to be there full time. So I sort of had my pick. So I chose my favourite school. It was like a, 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 a semi-private um, Catholic school actually. All the kids were Buddhist. I oh, think okay, <laughs> it was just, yeah. a, just a Catholic school, like a trendy thing. All the kids were Buddhist. And I, I love that school. To this day, that is the, my favourite school I've ever worked at. The The other foreign teachers were great. The The Thai teachers were lovely. Um, I actually call one of them my Thai mum. I call her every now and then, just speak Thai, see how she is. Oh, nice! Um, they're having a bit of a bad time over there at the moment with COVID. It's obviously come back. The schools are closed. Um, but yeah, like met people in Thailand who will be friends for life. Mm. Um, just a fantastic experience I, I was lucky enough to, to travel about, around a bit and try different gyms met people through that met people through teaching Yeah, it was just a, a fantastic experience now full disclosure I still haven't finished my part time degree with the Open University so I was working on tourist visas um, and after a while Thailand started caught up with the times they had the biometric um, eye scanners thumbprint scanners at the airport and it became harder Going to do a visa run to to allow and then coming back mm. without being questioned. So I was like, right, I've done my first year at uni. I've got another two years to do. I'm gonna go back to England, step the degree up to full time. Finish my degree, move back to Thailand in two years. So, sure. so I moved back to England, stepped up to full time, but I sort of still wanted to teach too. I, I didn't have time for a a, a proper job. So I applied to a, an online company teaching Chinese kids. So for that two years in England, I was studying like 50 hours a week with the Open University to finish my computer science degree and teaching between 25 to 30 periods a week of English to Chinese kids. Um, Because of the time difference, they learn in the evening in China, but in the UK, that's like peak hours start at 10 in the morning, finish sure. 2 in the afternoon. So then after 2 in the afternoon, I'd, I'd study all day, Go trading in the evening. Yeah, so it sweet. worked out pretty good. It was, it was very intense. It was a lot of work.
0: Yeah, sounds it.
1: Um, so, yeah, finished my degree. Obviously, in my final year, COVID happened. Yes. So, um, yeah, yeah. I was booking flights to Thailand. I was like, yeah, I'm sure it'll go ahead. They didn't go ahead. Yeah. And then I was complaining on my Instagram story, like, oh my God, I want to go to Thailand. I can't get to Thailand. And I know someone who works at the company we work for in Vietnam. Yeah. He replied to my Instagram story and was like, well, I can get you to Vietnam if you want to come to Vietnam.
0: So I came. No, thing, so yeah. here I am. Yeah. That's what I was going to lead to, yeah. So then that's how it all came about. How are you finding Vietnam as a whole? You know, training here and living here? Um, so, how I said that no Muay Thai gym had ever felt like
1: home, the same way MFA did, um, the The same can sort of be said for the, the Jiu Jitsu gym that I joined in the UK, uh, Redcar BJJ. The the people there, I owe them a lot. I, like, I went through a tough time in the UK. Um, I don't like being there at the best of times with some pretty bad stuff happened, which I'm sure we'll get on to and uh, just having those guys to, to train with and to learn from like I owe those guys a lot like probably more than they know and Redca BJJ will always be my home BJJ gym the sure. way that MFA will always be my Muay Thai gym that being said since moving to Vietnam I've, I've trained at arguably the, the best gym that I've ever trained at in Asia and I've trained at some gyms in Asia so the the gym's in Taudien, it's called Jaboya, uh, it's run by two Brazilians Gilberto and Luis, and there's some other really high level instructors there too Paul and Corey and even though I got injured the second week I got here I've still been going to the gym and watching and since my wrist's been better and I've been rolling and training again my Jiu Jitsu has still notably improved just from being around those guys and watching them roll and watching them train um and my plan had always been to, to go back to Thailand. I was only meant to be in Vietnam for a year. But because of how good Jaboyo is and how good the friends are that I've made here, I've just signed a two year contract with a pretty decent international school.
0: Yes. So uh, yeah, I don't think I'll be going anywhere for a while. That sounds good. Yeah, for real, that sounds real. Um, what also, I will get back to the martial arts aspect yeah. and how that's improved, but what we're here today, it's the 21st of April. Like, there's a particular reason why we're here and why we're doing it on this date. Uh, your friend Tom, it would be his birthday. Is that correct. It would be his 30th birthday today. Yeah. yeah. Should we talk more about Tom and Yeah, yeah, what so
1: there? um so basically um when I got back to England in 2018, me, Ollie, Tom, uh Ben, who else was who else came? I think it was just the four of us. We all met up. We hadn't seen each other for years. Um and uh, we all met up had a great time so that we hadn't been apart and then on my 27th birthday October 20, 2018 Tom came from his hometown to my hometown in Hartlepool to celebrate my birthday with me just the two of us like old times I'm not sure I think Ollie was working Ollie couldn't come um, so that was the last time I seen him and we had like a, had a good night out in Newcastle and then I uh, dropped off at the bus station the next day, gave him a hug, told him I loved him. And then uh, I, the last time I ever spoke to him was Christmas Day 2019. And he was messaging me saying how proud he was of me that I'd sort of turned my life around. And he had a girlfriend at the time and he just got an apartment with her. And I said, look, I'm, I'm proud of you too. I'm so glad that you finally found a nice girl, blah, blah, blah. And we both talked about how proud of Ollie we were. Like, Ollie's smashing it. He's got a great job. And that was the last time I heard from him. And that year in two thousand nineteen, I took my little brother to Amsterdam for New Year's Eve. We just got to Amsterdam. We got a coffee and some of the other delights on offer in Amsterdam. And um, I got a message on Instagram from Stocky, was one of Tom's friends from his hometown. It's like Rids, what's your number? I need to ring you. And my my stomach just dropped. You know, like, where you know something's wrong. Right. Yeah. I thought he was gonna say he he tried something stupid. Mm. a Stocky called me, he was crying his eyes. I was like, what's wrong? And he basically told me that Tom had taken his own life like early hours of the morning. Um, so that was a bit of a, a kick in the gut. I was trying to show my little brother a good time and enjoy that with him. So that was a, that was a rough few days. And then I got back to the UK and um, we buried him the day before Valentine's Day. So we buried him February the 13th. Uh, last year 2020 yes. so it's just, it's just before um, just before Covid happened so he's literally oblivious <laughs> wherever he is he, he hasn't had to live through any of this shit yeah
0: Plus.
1: but um, it's, it's, it's just a strange one because when when I was in that dark place in Manchester um, obviously sort of fed up with life and I just started getting back on my feet but I was down I was recently single and I was like in such, such a dark place Tom helped put me back together again sure. and like it's really sort of painful that he knew he did that for me and in that moment so the toxicology report shows that he wasn't drunk he wasn't on anything else he was stone cold sober so he made the sober decision to to do that mm. knowing what he'd done for me and given me a second crack at life and he couldn't just pick up the phone and the other weird thing was he, he had plans with Ollie the following weekend and he had plans with me the weekend after that. And it's not like Tom to let us down. Yeah, so Tom. I instantly knew something was wrong. I had a good idea what would cause him to do that. Sure. And then at his funeral, um, without going into too much details, because I, I don't want to point the finger at people and, and make people feel worse about the situation, they probably already do. My suspicions were confirmed at his funeral when I went to give someone a hug and then one of his friends came over and said, don't don't fucking hug them it's it's because of them Ah. and that that was bad obviously i'm i'm six foot five i train martial arts quite a big guy it is well within my power to to go and avenge tom's death Mm. but if i do that then my life's ruined as well because i'd probably do something awful tom wouldn't want to ruin my life So it makes me feel quite powerless, really, that I I know there is someone who I can... Ultimately, it was Tom's decision, but there is someone who has a part in that decision. That's it. And they've had no comeuppance. And it makes me feel a bit powerless, really, knowing that I could do something to avenge my my best friend. And I mean, like, I've never, ever loved a friend the way I loved him. Sure. Because for all he did for me... Mm. And knowing that I can't do anything about that, like, is really horrible.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know this is a tricky question. When you find out what's happened to him, what's your initial reaction? What goes through your mind when you get that phone call saying, "This is what happens to um, Tom." I'm
1: supposed to be seeing you in two weeks. Mm. That was the big thing, and Tom, like, like I was lucky to have martial arts, and so I got back into education and stuff. Tom always wore a smile. Always. But he lived day by day the same way that I did when I said I was in Manchester living with Tom and Ollie, and I didn't care what was happening next because I was making good memories with my friends. Tom lived like that till the end. It was all just about where's the next good time coming from, and he had tickets to to go to Rome and see Liam Gallagher, and me and him were gonna go see the frontman of a, a band called The Enemy that we loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like it. we had all these things planned, and then none of them went ahead. Yeah, it was just so. It was just. It was just. Firstly, I was like, oh, you silly bastard, why didn't you just call me? And I don't know if it's worse that he chose to do it sober and it was his choice rather than a drunken mistake. Mm. Sorry, I don't know if it's better because of that or I don't know if it's worse that he was sober and he could have just called me or Ollie or, or Stocky or any of the other boys from his hometown and he still he'd had enough and that was it.
0: Yeah. It's a trick when you never really know what somebody's yeah. going through. I suppose mm.
1: so that. But it I mean. makes me feel really guilty too that on Christmas Day, he's like being nice to me, and I'm trying to say it back. Like oh, I'm so glad that you're sorted now too, mm. and really he wasn't. Of course, yeah. it's like less than a week later, yeah, and he, and he did that. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's rough and it's it's hard to get over. I've experienced loss before. Um, just before my eighteenth birthday, I lost my granddad, my my mum's dad and he was like such a huge part of my life and that's kind of what messed me up really from, from being 18 to 22 it was just a night out every night drinking my sorrows and whatever else trying to escape that the, but I came to terms with that in the end because at the end of the day it's my grandfather he he lived a great life he, he had children he had grandchildren and you got to see all that so although... That still hurts. I think with time, it becomes more manageable. Mm. With Tom, Tom will never get to meet my children. Tom will never get to stand and be my best man at my wedding like you promised he would be. Tom will never get to come to Vietnam. Tom will never get to come to Thailand. So I, I'm still very sore over it now and I don't know if it'll get better because he, he'll never get to, to reach his full potential and I think that's why it feels a bit different. Yeah, to okay. to lose my granddad if that makes sense. That definitely
0: makes sense. Yeah. Do you mind telling me a bit more about like your granddad and the impact he had on you?
1: Yeah, so um obviously divorced parents when I was young. Um, me and my mum before she met Paul, um my were quite reliant on my nana and my granddad, so they'd always look after me when she was at work, like she was always hard work at multiple jobs. They'd always look after me. So my, my granddad was like my, my father figure for those early years of my life before my mum met Paul and I was so close to him like um when I passed my driving test I was driving his car um I'd go pick my nana up on a Monday and take her to get a pension and take a little dog out with her Benji and just very very close to them because I never had any of those relationships with the other side of my family mm. because I didn't see them I feel like my mum's side of the family always went above and beyond to be there for me and to and to, to 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 go like to the next step um so yeah when when he died that that messed me up um and at the time i i was I was with my first girlfriend, high school sweetheart and um she she was she was good for me at the time you know she she helped me through she helped me through some dark stuff and she she put up with a lot of my shit as well um but yeah my my granddad died and just it it changed me as a person really um started drinking more started doing things that i'd never done before, and then one thing led to another and um, yeah I wasn't in a very good space I was very unhealthy for a long time and it was only after um, like I say only in Manchester a few years later after that second relationship ended that I was like no you need to you need to like get yourself better now I think I'd always I'd always wanted someone to save me I'd yeah. been a bit like codependent oh I'll meet a nice girl and she'll sort me out yeah. but at the end of the day women aren't our therapists you know yeah, what I course, mean yeah. it's, it's on us Yeah. so I had to get myself better and I had to look at life differently and I had to get healthy.
0: Sure. So, yeah. yeah. On that note then, so when you've gone through these difficult periods in Manchester, wherever else, what are the techniques you've used to come back to a point where you're doing okay again or you're um, stable? I've got to
1: have goals. So in my diary, I've got um short-term goals, which are like zero to six months, medium-term goals, which is six months to 12 months, and long term goals, which are like one to five years, yeah um working towards those goals, um so every day I write myself well every day I write a list in the evening of what I want to do the next day, what I want to achieve, what work I want to get done, and then I owe those things so if if I don't do them i I can't go to bed, I've got to do them, yeah, um, and just they're all theyre it's nothing too crazy, it might be something stupid, like make your bed, shave your head, shave your face, and it's just Doing those little things every day to keeps me in routine and, and if I'm in routine with that, then I'll check my blood sugar at the right time and I'll take up my insulin at the right time and I'll eat the right food and then um, also put things on those lists that may only seem small but they're tiny, tiny steps towards... Um, I've just noticed you've got the book Atomic Habits right there. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's like, like Atomic Habits. I write, yeah. I write little things that I can do every day that are going to get me towards those goals. So, um, like, I might, I like learning. So, there might be like a, a course that I buy on Udemy and I'll make myself do one of those 10 minute lectures every day. Sure. Or I'll do like two 10 minute Vietnamese lessons on Duolingo because I want to be fluent in a language yes. in the next five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just tiny little things and, and that all compounds and makes me a little bit better. Right, okay. Um, having those goals, like, if I get time off work, I hate it. Yes. So, the TED holidays in Vietnam. Yeah i can still write little lists of things to do but not enough to fill my day mm. yeah. normally i fit those things in around other commitments and if i don't have those commitments i start to unravel a little bit and i'll get a little bit lazy yeah, i'll eat a little, yeah. little bad food i've got to have goals to work towards i've got to keep myself busy um so like when i graduated university it was like oh my god i've been studying so many hours a week what am i going to do with all that spare time so it's just like i'll now i do a lot of yoga or i do um Breath work. So, do you know Wim Hof? Yes. I use his yeah. method every day and then I like, yeah. try to have a cold shower, but the water in Vietnam is quite yes. warm. Um, so, when when I move apartments soon, I'm going to look for somewhere with a bath, so I can fill it with ice and do it properly. Yeah. But, yeah, just little, little things like Vietnamese lessons, Wim Hof, yoga, a little bit of cardio, and then obviously I've got Jitsu every day or on some days I lift. Um, the last few months were quite difficult um, when I got my injury because mm. obviously I, I couldn't lift weights couldn't do yoga so then my bad back started hurting again. Yeah. I could watch jujitsu but not do it. Um so that 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 was rough. But I'm starting to get to the point now where I'm in a good good place. I I like mm-hmm. Vietnam, I've I've obviously secured something good for my future here at that new school. Well, my wrist's getting better. Um there's a competition mm-hmm. on June fifth and June sixth, the C J C Jiu Jitsu championships. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna be competing in that. Sure. So yeah, it's good. Um that's another thing as well when um, so when my granddad died, I obviously let it ruin my life for all those years. When Tom died um, in 2019, I didn't drink a single drop of alcohol because I wanted to see if I could do one year sober. Yeah. I'd massively cut down my drinking habits anyway because I just saw how good it was for me training when I was drinking. So when Tom died, um, I was like, right, it's pretty much... It was twenty twenty within a matter of days. Was like right, you can you can drink again now. So, do you want to drown your sorrows and, and risk taking that back step, or is that version of you truly gone? Mm. I thought there's a jiu jitsu competition in March. Why not start training now? And do something good like for him, use yeah. it as fuel. Of course, yeah. Fuel yeah. for the fire. So, um, I entered the Cleveland Coastal jiu-jitsu championships in England and I, I won double gold so I got a gold medal in the gi then a gold medal in the in no gi when we like wear the spats and the shorts and the rash guard and uh, there was no way anyone was beating me that day, so the first match I won on points took me a while to warm up but then all my other matches I won by submission there was just, there was no way someone would have had to kill me on that day to to, to get a victory over me because I just knew that I, I it's weird because I, I don't don't really believe in the afterlife or anything what I do believe is that energy can't be created or destroyed and I said the same thing um, in in Tom's eulogy Tom was a massive ball of energy and that energy has to have gone somewhere because you can't destroy energy, it's yeah. got to go somewhere else and I'd like to think that a little bit of that energy was like in that sports hall with me on that day like watching me compete and there was just no way that I could lose when I knew I was doing it for him.
0: Yeah, for real. So yeah, it was was good. This brings me nicely towards the end of the conversation, really, with this could be jiu-jitsu, martial arts, whatever. What are your aims for the future? You obviously have your two-year international school. What's Uh, next for you? Let me have a look at me diary. Let me have a look (laughs) at me goals for
1: you. Yeah. I've got to write them down. That's so good. So one of my goals, uh, long-term, so within the next five years, was to uh, get an international school job and I've managed to do that yeah, <laughs> now. I'm going to tick that one off. Uh, I want to visit my little brother. My little brother Matty plays um, football for the Las Vegas Rebels. Oh, okay. So he's, he got a full sports scholarship at UNLV. Nice. I want to visit him in America. Um, I want to compete in an IBJJF event, which is like one of the creme de la creme of, of BJJ tournaments. Sure. Um, I want to wear my purple belt. So I got my blue belt last year off my coach in the UK. Obviously now I'm in Vietnam i've got to sort of prove my prove myself here a little bit i did just get my first stripe on my blue belt off my uh my my coach g nice so hopefully if i'm here for the foreseeable future i don't know two years down the line i might be able to get that purple belt um what else i want to get a medal while i'm a blue belt i want to compete whilst i'm at blue belt i'll hopefully get those ticked off in um june when i compete and then hopefully at some point get to, get to go home and visit my family yeah of
0: course because obviously
1: once Covid's back to um, that would be lovely right yeah. back, back to some semblance of normality uh, go to the UK visit my family see my mum my stepdad uh, my brother Josh has just had a daughter as well baby Annabelle so it'd be nice to go back and see her yeah of
0: course
1: um, and then go to Thailand and visit everyone um, one thing i do not like about being in vietnam is i feel like the ignorant foreigner again because i can speak thai quite proficiently and nice. then I, i'm here and it's like uh, i can't yeah, speak the same, a language yeah i yeah. can't say a word um so hopefully get better in v- uh, vietnamese i've got my first lesson with a teacher on sunday I've got a two-hour lesson so hopefully i'll start getting a proficient well. at that nice and yeah just sort of i want the borders to open so that my friends can visit really so i've got friends in the uk that have been stuck inside for ages as soon as those borders are open my door is so i'm getting a new apartment soon once i start the new job two bedroom apartment uh and that door will be open to anyone that wants to leave the uk and come and train and i just want to say as well um putting this out there my instagram is at my name is ridley so that's m u a y name is ridley If you're someone who knows me, so you might have went to school with me, uh, maybe we were friends before and we're not now, maybe you're a girl that I know and we fell out over some stupid stuff, if you're struggling with any sort of mental health issues, please reach out. I don't care if you for some reason think I don't like you or, or you think that I think you don't like me, if you're going through anything at the moment and you need someone to talk to, please drop me a message because I wish so much that Tom had done that and he didn't so if speaking to me can help you in any way please reach out you can call me you can video call me you can send me a voice note you can send me a message and I'll sit and talk things through with you the time difference in Vietnam's a little bit different but I don't care where you're around in the world I will message you as soon as I have the time to
0: and that's quite a powerful final message to leave yeah I think we've wrapped everything up, Ridley. I think this has been powerful, been inspiring. It's been great to hear from you about Tom, about martial arts, about Thailand, Manchester, a whole range of topics. Thanks very much for coming on. I think this has been an absolute pleasure for the 50 milestone, and I wish you all the best for the future. I have no doubt that you'll be successful in whatever adventure, whether it be international school, a tournament in martial arts, and, yeah, I think you'll do really well, and thanks very much for coming on. Thank you very much brother. Pleasure, bro.